What's good, Buckeye Nation? Uh, we are here on Land Grant Holy Land's Instant Recap Podcast, recapping Ohio State's 49-10 win over Rutgers. Another blowout, as to be expected, even if the game didn't exactly look as expected. Uh, today I'm not joined by Chris, who is uh, suffering through a fall wedding. Hopefully he's enjoying himself, but I'm uh, joined by our esteemed editor, Matt. How you feeling today, Matt? Uh, not as good as I was before the game, but uh, the the little pushing and shoving in the in the fourth quarter got me a little bit more excited. So I'm feeling a little bit better than I was maybe 30 minutes ago. Oh yeah, I, I agree 100%. I tweeted the only way that a day could make me even happier is if he went for a deep shot right after mm-hmm. right after they cleared the field. You know, uh, just just really run up the score since that's what they thought they you were doing. And I, I don't know. I can't believe Shiano ran across the field. And, like, what do you think he did? You know Ryan Day. Ryan Day doesn't run up the score against anybody. Well, you think he was like, oh, let's let's fake the punt here. Well, I here's the thing. I, I don't think that Shiano ran across the field to confront Ryan Day. As I was watching the video, I think Shiano ran across the field to get his players out of the fight. And then if you watch the video, when Shiano gets there, like when he's running up, this is already happening. Day is pissed and he is yelling at a Rutgers player and he's not like within arm's distance of him, but he's like shaking his finger at this guy. And I think that's actually what pissed Shiano off. I don't think Shiano was mad necessarily. I mean, I think he was probably mad about the fake, but I don't think that's what he was truly mad at day about. I think he was mad about day going after one of his players and that's when he got pissed. So I could be wrong. I could be reading too much into it, but I feel like Shiano is one of those guys who's like, well, it's our job to stop them. They shouldn't, you know, do whatever they need to. We, we've got to play better on special teams. Like, I think, like, he understands, like, that's just what you do. But watching the video, I think Shiana was actually mad about Day yelling at one of his players, which, to be honest, as a former coach, I understand. Like, let me handle my players. You handle yours. Keep your fingers out of my guys' face. Yeah, I understand that. But I also understand Day as a coach has to go to bat for his players. So it's really just two coaches being good coaches and going to bat for your players. And I think uh, I think Ohio State is going to, uh, no matter what Day says in the locker room, because he's definitely going to address it, um, he probably is not going to like the fact that they all came off the sideline. Me personally, I like it because not. I mean, he's still an athlete, but in most cases your punters and kickers are your most, like, you know, um, I don't know the right word for it. I don't want to say – Um, like sensitive or whatever but they're your most like protected players because they don't you know they're not six five three hundred pounds so yeah for him to hit a hit your punter like that I like that the players uh, had some issue with it but didn't go too far where they were causing penalties uh and and then I think you know Day had to protect his guy Shano had to protect his guy but uh that that was probably the most entertaining part of the entire game so (laughs) Uh, other than (laughs) other than a few Mayan runs yeah yeah I mean, I I think that's a I think that's a great place to go. Um, I have no idea who Mayan Williams was today. Uh, in the beginning, he looked like himself, uh, but then in the end, he's starting like uh, as uh, Jalen Hurts would say, he's getting freaky out in the field. Like he's you know juking people. Uh, he runs for seventy yards. I think his career long had been you know like thirty two or thirty five. So yeah. seventy almost doubles his career long. I'm like I've never seen this guy before. Uh, but he really stepped into his own uh, as the as the number one back without Trevion Henderson. No, I 100% believe that you are wrong in what you just said. He did not step into being the number one back 
because Trevion Henderson was out. He is the number one back. I wrote about it after the Wisconsin game. He's he's RB1 now. Like, I, I, I love Trevion Henderson. I think he's incredibly talented. But he hasn't been able to get on the field this season, and that sucks. And we've, you know, we have a lot of conversations in our Land Grant Slack channel about injuries this season. And I'm usually someone who's like, injuries happen. It's football. I think they're being safer. But when it comes to a position like running back, where you are literally a battering ram to run through people, and you're a position who's, I mean, the history of the running back position, both in college and in pro football over the past decade or two, has been about the longevity of a of a running back and how many how much how many miles you have on your tires when it is your job to kind of be worn down you just can't have a number one running back who is consistently worn down Mayan Williams never seems to get hurt he never seems to have you know to get nicked up to be dinged he is a guy that if he gets hit four yards behind the line of scrimmage, you can almost guarantee that he's going to end up picking up five or six yards when it's all said and done. He is the number one running back as far as I'm concerned. I am fine with saying Travion Henderson is 1B. Uh, I'm fine with that because I think they're both great when they're both healthy. I don't think there's a better running back duo in the country. But Mayan Williams came to Ohio State as an underappreciated kind of like add-on guy in a class that nobody outside of the coaching staff really believed much in. But he has proven... Anybody who thought that, myself included, to be completely wrong. And he is, as the kids say, that dude. And he is, I think, going to be an incredible piece of Ohio State's offense moving forward. Because we saw today that C.J. Stroud just didn't have it. I mean, he was fine. He was 13 of 22 for 154 yards, two touchdowns and interceptions. But on a day when your Heisman leading quarterback only throws for 154 on 59% passing, like to have a guy who can go for 189 yards on nine yards a carry, like that is a difference maker. Your quarterback is not going to be perfect every game. And I think Stroud has pretty much been perfect the rest of the season. But to have Mayan Williams be able to do what he did, I I think he's the best running back on the team. And, and honestly, I tweeted this during the game. Might be a Heisman Trophy candidate if this keeps up, because if he keeps getting touches like this, which I don't know that he will if Trey comes back, I mean... I don't know if there's anybody better than him at the running back position in the country. Yeah, no, I, I definitely agree about the number one running back thing. Before I go into that, just to, to speak yeah. on the state of college football, uh, I'm watching the finishing up the Kent State game, and there is a guy in the crowd with an Ohio State jersey. If that doesn't tell you the state of Ohio football, you're at a Kent State game. You're probably a Kent State student. They ask you to wear navy for homecoming, and you come in a black Ohio State jersey. Um, but at least he's not watching the Ohio State game because we'll take it. Because when I was there, nobody was at the games. Um, but, yeah, I think you um, make some great points about Mayan. Um, I think that it's – and that's that's why I tweeted, like, not that long ago because I think Mayan has a little brother. And I was like, if he's related to Mayan Williams, get him in the program because Mayan yeah. really was the – you know, he was the consolation prize for not getting Bijan Robinson. And I'm not going to sit here and say, I don't want Bijan Robinson. Right, of course. But for your quote unquote consolation prize, your three star running back that you just grabbed late in the cycle from Cincinnati, he has become much more than that. I mean, he at this point looks to be the best running back we've had since JK. I know that's not that many running backs, but to your point, he looks to be better or at least more consistent than Trey. And he's well, actually both Trey's Travion Henderson and Trey mm -hmm. Sermon. Um, and Master Teague and Mike Master Weber. Teague too, yeah. Like, 
it's uh he has a, a different level to him and you see when he's getting the more carries like he did today he showed a different part of his game i feel like kind of he's playing that 1a 1b role where he has just kind of like let me get a couple yards let me do this let me not try to do too much but when he was the guy Again, he's breaking tackles. He's duping people. He's not just fighting for those two or three yards. He's actually trying to make big plays. And if he has that in his game, I mean, there's, I mean, no one's going to stop him because I like, I don't think he's ever been tackled for a loss. I mean, he probably has, but it doesn't feel like it. Um, And and if, and if it has been a loss, it's like you said, he got hit at three and picked up two and a half um, and saved a big loss. So I mean, he he was absolutely spectacular today. And a day when we really needed him, um, like you said, 21 carries, 189 yards, and uh, five touchdowns. Um, and <laughs> That's honestly, just silly. That's yeah. silly. The worst part about Mayan's day is Ryan is Ryan Day didn't want to give him the fifth touchdown. Like that that's the yeah. only bad thing that happened with Mayan today. Um, Ryan was trying to do everything possible uh, not to give him that fifth touchdown. So uh, just a, a an insane day from a, a, a st- I'm going to call him a star. I think you would agree from a star running back. Yeah. Um, I mean he had I, I mean he, he had 189 yards rushing. Rutgers had 187 yards total. So like he outrushed the entirety of Rutgers offense, rushing and passing. Like I know Rutgers is Rutgers. So like, okay, but that's still pretty damn impressive when one player has more yards than an entire team. Yeah. And, and barely played either. Didn't play the fourth quarter or barely played the fourth quarter. Yeah. I think maybe one drive. I mean, one literally at, at the rate you said nine yards per carry one and a half, one, one or two more touches. He's at 200 yards. And, and it was yep. probably going to be one at that point because Rutgers was tiring. So um, great day for him. Um, another guy who kind of not – he doesn't have the stats because uh, Stroud only threw for 154 yards. But I'd love to hear your opinion on Emeka Egbuka. I mean, he has – he is so consistent. Um, 90 yards the first game, three straight 100-yard games, 70 this game, and he would have had 100 I mean, I believe at this point, if Stroud would have threw for 200 yards, he would have had 30 of the 46 he was missing and would have had another 100-yard day. Uh, I mean, you, you talk about Routman Marv. You talk about JSN. He's the JSN of this season. Like, what JSN was doing last year coming onto the scene, and I guess that should be expected. If I remember correctly, he was a five-star out of Seattle. Yeah, Everybody one, yeah. wanted him, but um, – at a certain point, you start to feel like they can't keep doing this. There's got to be a year where there's not where there's a sophomore who doesn't step up and and fight for the best receiver in the room, and that's not happening. So, I mean, I know how I feel. I know how Chris feels. I don't know if you've said this on other podcasts, but I'd love to hear how you feel about Emeka Egbuka. Well, I'll get to his receiving in a second. But first off, do not let him return punts anymore. Like that, <laughs> that is not going well. And I understand like that's probably a coaching issue and we can have a Parker Fleming discussion later. But like he's been doing this all season since the Notre Dame game, catching things Willie Mays style. Like that's not good. Then we saw him what looked like it could have been a cough up of a ball. It actually, he was clearly down and he was on his back and a guy ripped it out while he was on his back. But like, uh, we heard before the game that Emeka Abuka was a, a game time decision. And early in this game, it looked like, yeah, maybe they made the wrong decision here. Cause he doesn't seem to be all in it, but he, I mean, I don't really have anything bad to say about any of the wide receivers, not only for this game, but for the entire season. I, I think Emeka Abuka is, is, is spectacular. I am very glad that we get another year of him and Marvin Harrison, assuming they don't say, ah, I'm just going to take the year off and wait for the draft, which I don't think they will obviously. Um, 
But I think it's it's what's really cool about it is is without Jackson Smith and Jigba, you've got three guys in Emeka, Julian, and Marv who are able to do a lot of different things, but they so they have overlap in their skill sets, but they also do things that are a little bit different than everybody else. Like you have Marvin Julian who are a little bit more physical um, and are both incredible blockers. Um, but that's not something that a Mecca does. He's good for what he is, but he's not that physical kind of guy. Then you've got a Mecca and, um, and Marv who can kind of go over the middle a little bit more. Um, and it's not something that Julian has done a ton of yet. He's more on the sideline. Uh, so I, I think all of the wide receivers are fantastic, but I think you're right that even if Marv has the touchdown, uh, catches Julian has ha, actually has four in the last three weeks. So even if those guys are maybe get a few of, of the more headlines because they're doing a little bit flashier stuff, I think you're, you're spot on when it comes to saying Emeka is the consistent guy. And I don't know that I would, cons- you know, I would classify him as a Jackson Smith and jig, but mainly just because he's, I, I think he was expected to be the number two this year. At least he was for me. Um, I think he's more of like one of those guys who, is just one of the steady um, like KJ Hill guys who, or or Mike Thomas, even who are just always there. They're always going to make the plays. And I think he's obviously a different wide receiver than both of those guys uh, considering his, his recruiting ranking, but he's just somebody who shows up and makes plays all the time other than in the punt return game. Um, So like, I, I think that he's, Great. And if and when Jackson comes back, and I do think he's going to come back. I know there's a lot of people who feel like he might pull a Nick Bosa and just shut it down for the draft. I don't think that's in him. He has been warming up for most games and looks like he's close. And I think that he's being extra cautious because they're going to want him towards the end of this month and into November in the postseason. But when he returns, I don't think that that's going to, obviously there's going to be fewer balls to go around, but I don't think that that means that Marv, Julian or Emeka is going to be left out in the cold. And I think Emeka is just one of those guys who is so consistent that he is going to get his touches, even if they might not be as many as they were when JSN was out. Yeah. I I love that you said KJ Hill and you said uh, Michael Thomas, and I would even throw Chris Olave out there because when you need a play, they've always had a guy like, you know, Garrett Wilson is, you could argue was more of the big play guy. Although it, it seemed, you know, Chris yeah. Olave was always on those posts. Um, but there's always a guy when it's like, we need this. We need a first down. We need this fourth down. We need something. I'm going to put him over the middle and allow him to catch and run. And that was Chris Olave this year. It's a mega I don't think that changes even with um, JSN. Um, but I think his, again, five-star guy, you expect to see it. But his emergence and and, a, and his ability to step in without Jason, because at this point, there is nothing like we have good wide receivers, but there's no one getting double covered. They're all winning on they their can't. own yeah. because they're all of equal you know value. Even with Jason, you can't really double cover him, but you're going to try to because he was the one that has the 1600 yards and that kind of stuff. And this may be borderline blasphemous, but I'm ready to say it. I think this is the most complete room that Ohio State has ever had and it's because like you mentioned they all do something different you know Garrett and Chris were very similar um they used them differently because you kind of had to but Garrett could have everything that Garrett did Chris could have done I mean Chris could have run the jet sweeps Garrett could have run the post routes uh I mean maybe Chris I mean mean, they were both you know great uh fade ball winners I feel like they were a lot more interchangeable but in this one it's almost like people like to say playing basketball like you have your point guard 
you have your power forward, you have your center, um, you have your slasher. Uh, it's really, you know, a room that is complete and everyone is different. And depending on what rotation they put out there, you have to defend them differently. And and he didn't have a great, uh, a big game today, but then you could throw in Cade Stover. And yeah, it's just that's like, what I was going to say. Yeah. It's the most complete room because the one thing under Ryan Day and the stats will back this up. He's always had two wide receivers and he doesn't throw to anybody else. Like he, yeah. he just doesn't. Justin, Justin didn't throw to anybody else. Like a, a lot of times they find their two guys, they get the bulk of it. And that's not the case this year. And you couldn't even do that if you wanted to, because I mean, which two is it? Are you yeah. going to leave Marv out? Are you going to leave a Mecca out? Are you going to leave Julian out? Like you have to get all of them in the game. Uh, and so I think that that is why even in a game where we're not happy, which is why, you know, we haven't talked much about this game in particular, the offense can sleepwalk to 49 points because of, you know, who's on the field and uh, Mayan just being another a huge, huge part of that. Yeah, I mean, to kind of tie it into this game, nobody in the wide receiver room had more than four catches. Uh, Julian and Emeka both had four, but you still had. Um, let's see, one, two, three, four, five, six guys catch passes and Stroud only completed 13 balls. So he still was able to mix it around. And even though some of them was like Mayan had one catch for three yards, like it wasn't a a huge thing. He's still spreading it around. And what you talk about the fact that like in years past, especially under day, it's been like focus on the two, um, top wide receivers and that's mainly been because that's all you needed to do they are so much better than the defenses that they've been playing against like they were always open so of course you're going to throw to them um this year like everybody is so much better that you really do have the opportunity to spread around who is the first option and generally they're going to be open um although i do think that this game notwithstanding stroud has been much better at going through his progressions this season than he was last year which you would expect in his third year in the offense yeah, that that and he's been um he's been much better at again this game notwithstanding because he threw a, a ball into triple coverage. He's been better Quadruple. at not forcing. Uh he's been better at not forcing it and just kind of taking the checkdowns which I mean that's the hardest thing for any quarterback to do and, and obviously you know Stroud is not Patrick Mahomes but you look at Patrick Mahomes and he struggled for all of like half of last football season. Uh, in the NFL because they were playing essentially drop eight and he didn't want to just throw the check down. And that's what makes Tom Brady and Peyton Manning one of the best ones because they'll dink and dime you all game and then hit the big one. They won't force it. And so for a a 20 year old quarterback to start progressing and you start to see that in his second season, um, that is big uh, because that is a NFL trait that he's going to have to have because he's probably, he's going to have good wide receivers because they're in the NFL, but they're not going to be, you know, the four of the five best offensive players on the field, regardless of the team. So, um, and there's going to, there's not going to be as big of a talent differential between them and the defenses either. Yeah, not at all. Um, before we take a, a quick break and uh, talk about the defense, um, I did want to – there's something that I wanted to say. I, I did want to ha- ask you a question just in general because we're Ohio State fans at heart. Uh, I know that we try to be um, – because of, of the blog and different things like that, we try to be uh, partial at times and then other times we're not because um, one of the best things about the site is, is being able to say your opinion. But how did you feel about um, Dave's play calling? I feel like it was very up and down. And the last 
three weeks, I was like, wow, Ryan Day has figured it out. The running game is better. He's mixing in. He does the eye formation. And in this game, it just, like, disappears. I mean, seven plays from the five-yard line, and four of them were terrible calls. Maybe five of them were terrible calls. Um, you know, spreading it out, it, it just feels like his play calling was a little inconsistent. Um, and, and maybe a part of that is CJ's struggle, but I also don't think his play calling really helped CJ. Yeah, I wrote an article, a I don't even know how many weeks ago. It might have been after the, um, the Notre Dame game. It might have been later. Um, basically saying that Ryan Day needed to give up play calling. I actually said it before the Rose Bowl. Um, actually, it was. It was I, I published it the day after the, the, the Notre Dame game. But actually, after the Rose Bowl, when they were going through all of the coaching hires, I thought that Ryan Day needed to help Kevin Wilson find a job somewhere else and to bring in a new offensive coordinator who could take over play calling. And that's not because I don't think Ryan Day is a great play caller. He has proven that he is an elite play caller. But when you're the head coach of a, of a football team as big as Ohio State, you have a lot more responsibilities and things that take away your time than being able to prepare and innovate and to research and develop new things that you want your play caller and your offensive coordinator to do. Obviously, Kevin Wilson, technically the, the offensive coordinator, but in reality, Ryan Day is the offensive coordinator. So I, I think that Ryan Day is just kind of, I think he doesn't see the forest through the trees sometimes. Uh, I think a lot of people, I questioned the play calling during this game in that exact same situation. And a lot of people are like, well, he's trying to get CJ, you know, stats for his Heisman campaign. If that's what Ryan Day is worrying about during the game, that's a completely different problem. I am, I'm fine with, if you are, if that is part of your plan that you want to lean heavily on your Heisman trophy quarterback, that's totally fine. But in a game where, CJ is clearly not having his best stuff and you have a running back doing what Mayan Williams was doing. And granted, this was in the middle of the game. So he didn't know he was going to have 189 yards rushing, but you can't just rely on what you thought going into the game uh, as opposed to what you have actually seen in the course of the game leading up to that point. So I, I think Ryan Day is a great play caller. And if he was still the offensive coordinator, I would have zero complaints about what I imagine he would be doing in that situation as a play caller. However, as the head coach, I think it is time that Ryan Day turns the sticks over to somebody else just because of the fact that like things get stale when you don't have the opportunity to really like research and develop and, and find things that are, that are working for other, other innovative coaches. I just don't think he has his fastball anymore. And you're right. The last few weeks have been much better. Admittedly, they've been against Arkansas state, Toledo and Wisconsin who proved to not be the Wisconsin of, of, you know, of recent vintage. So we'll see what happens when he plays a, a real defense like Iowa or Penn state at the end of this month. And then, of course, against the team up north at the end of the season and into the playoffs. But um, I, Ryan Day needs to be better in terms of play calling. They've been ex ex exceptional in the red zone this year. So I don't want to say like he's like costing them points because I don't think he really has at this point. But they've also haven't played anybody like Notre Dame and, and Wisconsin have proven to not be all that good and they are clearly the best wins of the season and they are turning out to be not exactly the quality victories that you assumed they would be before the season but I, I think that he needs to kind of get some things figured out and not get so set and stubborn in his ways I'm not sure that he's capable of that at this point but I, I, I was not in love with the play calling honestly throughout the game but especially as exemplified in that red zone goal line stand that you mentioned a minute ago 
Yeah, and people may call me a dabble hater. I like to call myself a dabble truther. If we're going to put a name to <laughs> yes. it, I'm uh, fine. But- I am fine being called a dabble hater. I think he's a horrible human being yes. and an absolutely despicable person. Yes, but the biggest concern and the reason why I bring him up on this is he never innovated his coaching staff or his mm-hmm. defense or his offense. And like I, I think that. I don't. I don't want to put this out there so much to say that like he's hurting the team, but my opinion no, no. has always been he keeps Kevin Wilson because Kevin Wilson doesn't rock the boat. He has turned 100%. out to be a great coach, because, and I wrote an article about it. But I think he hired Corey Dennis because he didn't want a young up and comer who had um, who had head coaching aspirations like um, some of our other quarterback coaches um, like Mike Yurisich and things like that because he didn't want anyone to rock the boat. He wanted to be the thing. And one of the first things that Corey Dennis said and even Justin Fields had said was Ryan Day sets the agenda and Corey Dennis, you know, does, you know, Ryan says do this drill, he runs this drill. Ryan says teach it this way, he does that. And I think as I wrote before that I think Corey Dennis has a bigger role and he's earned that. And maybe he just is a good coach, but the Corey Dennis hire and keeping Kevin Wilson, I believe is because they don't rock the boat and Ryan day can still be, you know, the smartest coach in the room. And I really think he needs to go and get a, he needs to go and get a young up and coming offensive coordinator. And it doesn't Mm -hmm. matter if he leaves to be a head coach because you're Ohio state and you can handpick whichever coordinator you want, just like you did on defense, but you need those cycling of good ideas and you can't replace, you can't replace the running back coach because he's one of the best in the country. You can't replace the wide receiver coach because he's one of the best in the country. And you just replaced the offensive line, uh, offensive lineman coach because he was one of the worst in the country. So who else can you replace, but the offensive coordinator Um, and Corey Dennis maybe gets replaced eventually. Cause I think he's starting to get a little bit, you know, under him, especially as a recruiter. But if you're not going to innovate and you're not going to ask for new, new insight, um, you're not going to see it. And I think we're seeing that point proven with Justin Fry because while they didn't give him the run game coordinator, Justin Fry has been a part of amazing running games. And especially um, Chip Kelly's always known for the spread, but one of his best things um, is his power running game principles. And we're seeing that. And maybe it's just Ryan Day. He's a smart coach, but I think Justin Fry has something to do with 100%. the fact that we're seeing more gap schemes, the fact that we're seeing eye formation and some of that stuff. And it's like, wow, what would happen if we had someone who could also do that in the passing game? Because as good as Brian Hartline is, he's a former player. And I don't know, you've you've coached. Not all players are smart. He's a great <laughs> technician. He's a great recruiter. But I'm not, you know, I don't know if Brian Hartline is getting up on the board and drawing a bunch of plays. And they need someone with that, I think, in the room. And it would take the offense to another level. And we're picking, you know, we're complaining about what really seems to be nothing as we've had the best offense in the country two years in a row. But it doesn't matter against Michigan State, but it matters against Georgia. And that's the problem. We need exactly. to stop getting to the national championship game and getting blown out because you can't do the things that you can do against Michigan state. And that's 100% the reason for like my article about the play calling. And for when I talk about, like I had people getting mad at me for like calling out the, the cornerbacks today. I mean, cornerbacks, it's Denzel Burke, but like, it's fine if you're holding Rutgers to like whatever uh, 80 passing yards, that's fine. And it's fine if you hold Iowa to like negative 20 passing yards, because that's probably what's going to happen at the end of the month. That's fine. I'm happy about that. I want that to happen. 
but you can't assume that the same kind of effort and the same kind of production and performance is going to have the same results when you play actual good teams. Hell, you're not going to have that same kind of performance and production when you play Maryland at the end of the season, right before you play your rival. You have to be able to continue to to make changes and and break down your your strengths and weaknesses against lesser opponents so that you can correct them by the time that you play better opponents and whether that is self-scouting your own play calling whether that is figuring out why cj stroud had a bad game uh, against rutgers whether that is figuring out um, you know, why Denzel Burke seems to have regressed significantly from last season. I don't, whatever those things are, is you have to use this time and you have to be critical despite having a 39 point win, which they did not cover by half a point, which is frustrating, I'm sure, for a lot <laughs> of Ohio State betters. But like, you have to do that at this time so that when you get to the better teams, it's not an it's not as much of an issue anymore and it, that's what frustrates me with ohio state fans because like they can be so angry about something in the moment but as soon as like somebody with a blog or a website says the exact same thing they get super defensive it's like i can talk shit about my brother but you can't um and that's kind of how it is but like you have to be able to make these adjustments in season so that when ohio state eventually gets to the playoff because I don't see any way that they don't make the playoff this year. I'm sorry, you know, to the corn and blue. They, I don't think that they're in the same league as Ohio state. I don't think they're in the same league last year, but Ohio state's defense kind of, you know, changed that equation. Um, but you have to make those changes. And, and I hope that Ryan day and the coaching staff are willing to do that because the sky's the limit, but you can't kind of rest on your loyal at your, uh, on your laurels five games into the season. Yeah, and these little things are what take us from a one national championship a decade team to a two or three. We're not asking to be Alabama, but if the worst human you know, Davos Sweeney, can win two in a decade, why can't we? Um, yep. And it's the little, it's these little things, it's these little things that that need to happen that get you there, um, because you to sometimes unless you're Alabama, you need to get to four or five national championship games a decade to win two, and we're only getting to two or three a decade, um, yep. and so these little things matter, and they're gonna be what puts you over the top. So we're running, we're running close, to, we're running on thirty minutes. We're gonna take a really quick break for ads. Mention the defense, mention our favorite plays, and then we'll go ahead and get out of here. Um, very offensive focused show because uh, you know I, I feel like it's Ohio State really much complaints it's an offensive about the focus defense. Team. Yeah, <laughs> yes. yeah, 100%. shocking. We talk about the offense on an Ohio State podcast, so we'll we'll take a quick break for the ads and then we'll wrap up with the defense. Welcome back, everyone, to Land Grant Holy Land's Instant Recap Podcast. Again, if somehow you just came in at the 30-minute mark, we're recapping Ohio State's 49-10 to 10 win. Um, and as all good fans do, we're being critical of a 39-point victory uh, because it's Rutgers. So, um, defense. Defense allowed, uh, as you mentioned, 187 total yards. Uh, you know, Mayan Williams ran for more than that. Um it, it seems like another week where the entire defense was good except for one person. Um, and I don't even want to say his name because I don't want to keep bullying him. But at a certain point, you know, uh, Jim Knowles can't keep go- going to the podium and saying, well, you couldn't play the position. Like, so, you you know, I'm not going to judge him because we're seeing it. And, no, I couldn't play cornerback, but I can tell when someone's not playing well, um, yeah. especially when someone else gets on the field and they don't do that, um, including the freshmen. So, 
Um, just your overall thoughts about the defense, um, about this game five games in. Um, how are you feeling about uh, the Silver Bullets? If we can, if you feel we can call them the Silver Bullets at this point. I mean, through five games, I think you can. I mean, I think they are um, the best defense that we've seen in, I mean, a, a long time except for the 2019 season. Like, I think going back, I mean, maybe even to the national championship season and the, the year after where they, I think they were actually a better team, but got in their way and their coach got in their way. Um, but I think other than like 2019, when they were the number one defense in the country under Jeff Halfley, I think it's, I think they're that good. I, I think that the improvements on uh, at the linebacker level, whether that is Tommy Eichenberg proving that he is not just the reincarnation of tough Borland um, steel chambers really coming into his own. He, I don't think he was a linebacker last year. He was a really athletic football player playing linebacker last year. This year, he was 100% a linebacker. And even Cody Simon, who I think has had struggled early in the season, has proven himself to be a really valuable option there as a rotational player because they only play two linebackers or in the rare occasions when they go to a 4-3, he comes in there. I think that he's really good too. I think the linebackers have proven that this is a tough silver bullet team. Um, I also think that the defensive line is not a Chase Young-led or a Bosa-led unit, but it is a team that across the board, as long as they keep their best, I don't know, six, seven guys in the rotation and don't dip deeper than that, I think they're really strong. And I, I had a tweet about this from the Langren account during the game. Uh, it was when um, Zach Harrison deflected a ball that ended up getting picked off by Steel Chambers. Uh, we all want the sacks like the sacks are the sexy stat. And, and I understand why people are frustrated that you aren't getting there. And I am too, because getting a sack is, is much better than getting a hurry or a pressure. But if you are consistently getting pressures and getting hurries, and even in the case of Zach Harrison in this game, deflecting balls or batting balls down, that is also good. It's not great, but that's really good. And the more pressure you can put on opposing quarterbacks, the better that is for the results of your pass defense. And I think that, because you've got a line of Jack Sawyer and JT Tuimaloa and Mike Hall and Teron Vincent, who is just, he's not going to get the stats, but, but he just eats up blockers, um, allowing guys like Steele and Tommy to get the tackles. I, I think that the defensive line is really forcing offensive, uh, offensive coordinators to like get the ball out quicker than they would want. And I think that there's a, that's part of the reason why we aren't seeing as many sacks. The safeties, as far as I'm concerned, have been, I mean, as much as you could ask for uh, with the transition to this safety dominated defense, it really just is the corners. And, and I said his name earlier, so you don't have to say it, but like Denzel Burke was the best cornerback on this team last year. He is, I mean, they've only got six scholarship cornerbacks. Like he's fourth at best. And granted Jordan Hancock hasn't played at all. Cameron Brown has been out quite a bit, but like, J.K. Johnson and Jair Brown have both looked better than him in the last two weeks. Ryan Turner looked pretty good in limited duty today. So I, you know, I hate to call for a kid's job because he is only a sophomore. And, and I think that he probably got a lot of accolades last year and he expected a lot of things. And I don't know if I don't know what led to him not being able to repeat that. So I, but so I feel bad about calling for a kid to, to, to get benched. But I, I, as a coach and I didn't coach football, I coached baseball and softball at the, at the club, high school and college level. It is your responsibility as a coach 
to do what's best, not only for your individual players, but for your players as a whole. You have to take into account what is best for Denzel Burke, uh, but you also have to take into account what's best for the entire team. If Denzel Burke is letting down the entire team, it is your responsibility, as difficult as it is, to have the conversation with Denzel to figure out, A, what's wrong, B, what can you do better? And C, if the answer is that he needs to take a step back to have that conversation with him. Um, I, I want nothing but the best for Denzel Burke. I want him to figure it out. I want him to come back and be an All-American that we thought he would be at the beginning of the season. But he's not that guy right now. So I, I'm not sure what the answer is at corner, especially when you still have so many injuries and you only have so many guys who are actually in the position room. Is that moving Cam Martinez when and if he's healthy um, over there? Is it moving a guy like Lathan Ransom, which I wouldn't do just because he's playing so well at, at, at safety coming back this week. Tanner McAllister looked like he had a head injury this year. So I, I don't know what the answer is with, with so many injuries, but I think right now the one glaring, you know, issue on defense is Denzel Burke. And, and I don't know that they have a great opportunity to fill somebody else in there, but if I were Tim Walton and Jim Knowles, like I would run out JK Johnson and Jair Brown and, and, and let Denzel rotate in with Ryan Turner, assuming, um, you know, Hancock and, and Cam Brown are out, but like what, I mean, could it be much worse at this point, Jordan? I mean, I, I don't think it can because at the end of the day, there's there's literally only one player giving up the big plays. Like, yeah, you know, every time. Uh, every single time, pass interference, deep pass, touchdown, it feels like every, all of them are on him. It feels, I, obviously, I know realistically someone else has given up a big play, but you can't name them because it's so few and far in between. I can't yeah, sit here once and say in a while is against fine. Notre Dame, this person did this, or against Toledo, this person did this, but you can almost name all of Denzel Burks. And so, <laughs> And, and the thing is, real quick, the thing is, Jim Knowles, and I know you know this, Jim Knowles has talked about like giving up big plays is built into the function of his defense. And that is absolutely that is part of the what that you get when you are an aggressive defense. And he's OK with that. He said like four or five a game. That's what we factor in. The difference is when somebody gives up a big play, you want it to be because they were overly aggressive. And that and that's fine. That's why we don't remember those, because it's like. Okay, I see what happened there. Like they were trying to be aggressive. Um, a guy got put on an island because they blitzed too many guys. He wasn't sure where to cover. Okay, I get it. The the big plays that Denzel is giving up are ones where he is in position. He is almost always in position, and yet he doesn't get his head turned, or he doesn't time his jump right, or he gets mossed, or he you know opts to you know to interfere instead of trying to contest the pass. These aren't aggressive um, plays that are leading to. Um, uh, to chunk plays these are just bad execution after you're in position like you've done the hard part by hanging with a wide receiver now do the athletic fun part and break up the pass instead of doing what you're doing so i think that it's a distinction with some of those other big plays that guys have given up are part of the fabric of the defense where denzels are just like personal issues and personal mistakes yeah, and that was the biggest problem with the corners last year is they're not good at the catch point. So, I mean, I can't tell you the number of times that Seven Banks got beat, but I can tell you, I can <laughs> almost tell you the number of times he got out jumped for a ball or boxed out or, you know, stiff-armed at the end of the play or something like that. And obviously, like you mentioned earlier when I tweeted it, it seems like Cam Brown has gotten better than better at that. It's mm -hmm. just that Denzel Burke has it. It seems that the other corners are better at it. Um, it's just, you know, Burke needs to catch up. And we know he has it in him. So maybe just don't don't make him a focus for a couple of weeks. Let him get his confidence back. Um, and, and I think the saving grace of all of this is 
it seems like the two teams we have to beat for a national championship, one of them, Alabama, doesn't have a wide receiver, and it's because we didn't gift them one in the transfer portal. Um, but <laughs> like you, yeah. you need to you, – but, I mean, I'm terrified of get, about playing Maryland. I'd have nightmares of Rakeem Jarrett going up against oh. um, um, Denzel Burke right now. Uh, I, w- I won't comment on the linebackers because if I talk about linebackers, we'll be here for an hour and a half. You might cry. Just know like I, you I'm, might I'm cry. Very, I'm very close. I I watching Steel. I was like a, a tear almost came to my eye because like like you said, you said it perfectly. He wasn't a linebacker last year and I mentioned it in our chat when people have asked about um the Diamante Trainum. I said Steel made it look easy. It is very hard to switch positions. The uh, Trainum was always a two-year thing. We just needed Steel last year. He had his year in the fire, and now he's actually a linebacker. And I imagine he comes back next year just because he only has one real year at linebacker. Yeah. He's working his way into a first-round or a second-round pick at linebacker. Uh, and that is not something you can say uh, or you could have imagined. So, no. Well, let me let me ask all... you a question about Steel real quick. You yeah. are a linebacker guy. Does he need to put on a little bit more muscle? Does he need to put on bulk up a little bit before he heads to the NFL? He still looks like a running back build. I mean, a, a, a bulky running back, but he still looks more like a running back build than a linebacker build. Is he able? Do you think he needs to put that on? Do you think he's able to? Do you think he has the frame for it? Um, so I don't think he needs to. And okay. I'm the the only reason I say that is Darius Leonard. Darius Leonard okay. struggles to get to 200 pounds, but the way he plays, like literally he talks about it, he struggles to get to 200 pounds, and the way he plays, Must he's be one nice. of the best linebackers in the league. I think there are certain teams that won't draft him because of the size. Like the Saints aren't going to draft him, despite the fact that they love Buckeyes, but yeah. uh, the Cowboys aren't going to draft him probably. They like huge running backs, uh, I mean linebackers, but with the RPO game, with the really fast running backs and things like that, you kind of almost need one of those running backs in uh, – one, I keep saying running backs, one of those linebackers. Yeah. Um, and I think, and another reason I say that is he's shown a lot more strength this year. Um, he's good. He needs to definitely get stronger. So maybe that's where some of the added weight will help because um, NFL linemen are going to be better. Sure. But if they, if a team puts him in a position kind of like what Ohio state is doing, we're sure he has to take on blacks because blocks because he's a linebacker, but he's not the, tip of the spear that that's Tommy Eichenberg I think yeah. he'll be fine um, I mean he actually looked kind of oh. big to me and I think the worry would be that he loses some of his explosiveness because on that interception return he didn't look like a running back anymore so I, I think if you know um, if you add too much to him I think it may slow him down yeah but he looked like a running back when he was beating running backs to the sideline on Absolutely. like sweet plays like he was I, I mean and, I, and we don't get the, the all 22 in all these games. So it's not exactly sure where he lined up on that play, but like there were twice when running backs had gone sweeps both times to the left and Steele beat them to the spot to make a tackle either for a loss or for a short game. And it just looked like, Oh yeah, he is that athletic of a guy who I thought he was actually really good at running back. Like I think he was buried, which, so I understand the change, um, but I thought he was a pretty good running back, but he showed that speed and, that closeout ability that that certainly uh, comes from his life as an offensive player. Yeah, and I think that's the best part about it. And that's why, you know, sometimes it's really good to go to the really small high school where you play both sides of the ball. Because mm-hmm. as a as someone who played running back and linebacker, you learn both positions and you know how the other thinks. And so he knows how to read a def- an offensive play 
from a running back's position, and that is only going to help him at linebacker, especially now that he's shown the ability to be able to make the tackles, to be able to get to the spot, and then not be lost, um, which was part of his problem last year. Last year, if he saw it, he could get there, but he wasn't seeing it. And this yeah. year, he's seeing it, and he has the ability to get there. Um, and that some of that added strength and stuff is allowing him to make solo tackles, which um, is going to be a big thing. So yeah. I think he's fine. Yeah. He had eight solo tackles today. Like that's that if you would have told me that like at the beginning of last year that that Steel Chambers would have a game with eleven tackles, eight of them being solo, including two tackles for loss and an interception. Speaking of which, he might be the Big Ten defensive player of the week that looking at this stat line. Like that's that's pretty impressive. I would have been I I would have thought you were crazy. Um I literally had Steel Chambers mom in our mentions telling me I didn't know what I was talking about when I was saying that he doesn't need to be a starting guy because it's a huge jump to going from playing offense to defense. I still think I was right in that opinion, but he proved that it can be done. I think in general, that's a huge jump. Like you said, with chip train, I'm like, it's a two year process. We just didn't have a choice with, with steel last year. Uh, but he has certainly proved that he has become a, a very, not only competent, but like impressive linebacker at the big 10 level. And he's certainly playing himself into a lot of money at the NFL whenever he does make that jump. Yeah, I agree. Last thing I have on that. Um, I think that Tommy has shown that he can be the tip of the spear against a team that's going to come out with, uh, with multiple linemen, multiple linebackers, uh, multiple tight ends and running backs and try to p- play power football. And this game to me showed that Steele is ready to be the tip of the spear for those teams that are going to try to outrun us, that are going to try to go outside. Because yeah. as good as Tommy has been, he's not running a 4-3. He's still better in the box. And so now you really have that where – it doesn't feel like we have a weakness because when you play Maryland, Steele can get those 10 tackles. But then when you play Michigan, uh, that team up north, or you play Wisconsin or Iowa, Tommy can get those 10 tackles. And so I, I think that is a, a very um, exciting thing, a very exciting proposition. Uh, and so, yeah, I'm very happy with the defense. I think this defense can allow us to get um, a national championship. So um, as we wrap up, just a couple of things we like to do. Um, we like to do our favorite moments and our players of the game. My favorite moments, uh, a chop 70 yard touchdown. Um, I didn't know he had that in him. I just didn't. And the whole time I was like, don't get caught. Don't get caught. Don't get caught. Don't get caught. And he didn't get caught. And I was like, okay, he had, he has a gear that we didn't know he had. Uh, and then, uh, Merkel's 22 yard run. I mean, Maybe maybe he gets chewed out for that, but you literally see him in the replay. He goes to punt, and he's like, that's a lot of grass, and just well, tucks it. Uh, and yeah. that, for me, that's definitely a, a big play for me. I mean, you heard it before the snap even happened. You, I don't know if it was him or, or the up man. I think it was probably the, the personal protector yelling, hot, hot. They saw it. Like, that is on shiano and his special teams coach because they left it open like that was not something that he just i don't think just saw in the moment and did i think they saw it from the way that the the record special teams lined up so like to me this is on them um so my if i already talked about my favorite moment it was ryan day getting all pissed off um i love that because we don't see that much from him but like i think that is actually who he is a lot more often with the team behind the scenes. Um, if we're talking about things on the field, uh, I am still very much um, a guy. I'm, I'm, I'm older. I'm one of the older statesmen of the land grant Holy land staff. So I am uh, a sentimental guy. The fact that Julian Fleming is out there catching touchdown passes and, um, 
and kind of living up to all the expectations that everybody had when he was the number one wide receiver in the country. Um, yeah, he only had four receptions for 51 yards, but he's had four touchdowns in three weeks. And that just is really gratifying is not the word because that has nothing to do with me, but like it, it, it warms my heart to see a guy who has suffered through so many injuries come out and kind of reach the levels that he thought that he would initially get. So his touchdown um, in addition to the 70 yard touchdown that you mentioned from, from Mayan um, is probably up there um, for me as well. So I, I, I love seeing that. Um, and, and, you know, being a guy who I remember Keith Byers playing, I'm, I mean, I was pretty young when he played, um, but maybe I remember more in the NFL than I do at Ohio state, but like seeing Mayan Williams tie um, him and Pete Johnson for five touchdowns in a game. Like that's just cool. Like Ohio state have been playing football for a really long time and they've had, I mean, arguably some of the best running backs in college football history to do something that only two other guys in the entire history of the program have done. Like that's special. And that's something that you, yeah, maybe someday someone will have six and they'll pass him. Um, but like the fact that he's done, this is something that no one can ever take away from him. So very happy in, in a sentimental way for both Julian Fleming and Mayan Williams coming out of this week. Yeah, and Mayan is the best part about Ohio State, in my opinion. Yeah. Because we all like, and I think it's what separates us. And maybe it causes national championships. I don't know. But I think it's what se- separates us from the machines, like Alabama and things like that. We will always have a local Ohio kid who develops and stars for us. They're typically on the offensive line, but we're always going to have one. I was going to say, Dewan. Like, I mean, we always have one and and we have multiple this year. Um, so I think that is uh, that's the one thing that makes Ohio State special. And I think that kind of separates us from the machine of other people. And which is why yeah. personally, I hate when Ohio State fans say, oh, my God, you took the 900th player in the country. Yeah, he's from Ohio. If we're taking the 900th player from Texas, all right, why are we doing this? But you're getting that guy from Ohio. He's probably underrated. He knows the football. He knows the culture. Uh, and he's going to develop. And that happens with us all the time. Yeah. Um, I mean, and, and with Dewan, he's from Indianapolis, which is you know, close enough to be in, in, yeah. in that right? But he was, he was the 1043rd player in the 2019 recruiting class. And look at him now, like there were some plays in this game where he just obliterated people. And I know at being however big he is and who knows what his actual numbers uh, are um, that he, that kind of slows him down against speed rushes, but like, dude is really good and the fact that like i remember when he committed i might have even written the boom article or we might not have actually written one because you're like who the hell is this guy but like he's proven everybody wrong and he proved in this case uh greg studrawa right because like this was a dude who was 6'8", 360 coming out of high school, had D1 basketball offers. Like that should be enough to tell you like, okay, he's athletic enough and nobody trusted him. And Alabama never would have offered him. Um, Georgia yeah. never would have offered him. Clemson never would have offered him. Um, but he is a guy who has proven to be uh, exactly what you're talking about. Like the type of, of, of rags to riches story, I guess, that you love to see at a place like Ohio State. And it happens almost every year, so we love to see it. Uh, my players of the game are Mayan Williams and Steel Chambers. I don't think you can you can add to no. the list, but you have to include those two. Um, and my my final thoughts before we close out, I have two things that I want to say. First of all, I hope he stays a year, but I feel vindicated in the fact that I said Julian Fleming is a talent where he could literally have one good year and be a first-round pick. I mean, someone I, made yeah. like there, – there are a lot of good wide receivers in the, in the country, so maybe it doesn't happen. But if he left this year, he could be a first-round pick because they're going to see the traits and they're going to see what he put on film. 
And as long as they're not concerned about the injuries, they're going to, they're going to, I mean, they pick players on traits all the time. Trayvon Walker, number one pick had like zero stats at Georgia and he's a stud in the league already because of traits. Um, and then the other thing I, I, I wanted to mention, because you brought up a good point, uh, Seth Emerson from The Athletic wrote an article because after the third game of the season, Georgia only had one stat, one uh, sack, but no one's going to say Georgia's not a good defense. And it was basically just saying yeah. how in today's age with RPOs and quick passes and that kind of stuff, sack numbers aren't always the best sign of a good defense sometimes it is the hurries and pressures because quarterbacks are just much smarter and getting the ball out of their hands quickly so if anyone's worried about the sack numbers we have more sacks than georgia uh so well let's just let's just say that um any do you have we're not going to do injuries and suspensions because everybody's on the team is injured it seems do you have any final thoughts no, I think that's great. I, I honestly, I'm going to differ with you just a little bit on Julian Fleming. I kind of hope he does leave because of his injuries. Like I kind of hope that he just has a great season from here on out and he's enough to get a first or even a second round grade. Go make your millions uh, and don't chance another injury in college. Like I, I hope that he has a, just a balls out from here through a national championship and then goes and cashes in because I want the best for that dude. That, that is fair. I would love that for him. Um, I'm always an advocate of going to get your money. And unfortunately, every time players come back and say they're coming back, it almost never works. Uh, mm-hmm. I can't remember the corner right now. I don't Denzel I think Ward? I probably, no, no uh, uh, it was... Uh, oh, Sean Wade. Barbara, it was Sean Wade. Uh, Sean Wade, yes, yes, yes. He was like, oh, I'm coming back. And he ruined his draft stock. So uh, go have a have a year with no injuries go run a 4-3 at the combine and put up 15 on 225 and get first round pick um what's next we have michigan state and our first away game um that's going to be a good right a get right game for the offense because they have i could play safety for them right now um and I haven't played Michigan football State's in years, bad. and I never played safety. So that, like, off my couch, I could play safety for them. So uh, another another should be pretty easy game. Uh, and then after that, we have a bye week. So uh, 6-0, five games at home, going into a bye week should be a pretty good start to this uh, to the season. Um, but as always, uh, thank you for checking in with us after the game. Thank you for spending some time with us after Rutgers because, you know, we didn't, we didn't have to. Uh, Matt, do you want to pub anything before, uh, before we get out of here? No, I just uh, appreciate everybody listening to the podcast. If you are not uh, subscribing to our podcast, please do. We have almost every day two different podcasts coming to you uh with different perspectives and insights and conversations that you aren't going to hear at every other Ohio state podcast we know there's a lot of options but i think we do things a little differently than everybody else uh so i appreciate you listening to this if you like it there's a lot of other things to sample so make sure you subscribe wherever you get your podcasts yes sir you can follow me on twitter at jordan w330 um you can follow the account uh, at landgrant33 uh and matt if you want to share where can we follow you you can follow me at BWW Matt. All right, thanks everyone. Go Bucks.